0: And without further ado, here is another amazing entrepreneurial story on the dot-com magazine entrepreneur spotlight series.
1: Hello, everybody. Andy Jacob here with the dot-com magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series, and I have a great show today. You know, on the show, as you know from watching, we always talk about revenue. I mean, revenue drives the world. Revenue drives entrepreneurship. Revenue drives businesses. And if you don't have revenue or don't think about ways to drive revenue, you're really behind the eight ball on building your business. So, We went through the Rolodex, of course, and we want to talk about revenue today. I mean, it's such an important topic. Everybody that's watching the show, you're going to love who we've been able to bring on the show today. Her name is Mary Grothy, and she, of course, is the CEO and founder of, of course the House of Revenue, and she has built a great business. She has so much to talk about, including revenue engines and how you as a business person can really break through the revenue plateau that perhaps you're seeing right now. So we brought the real expert on the show. I'm so happy to have Mary. It's an honor to have you on the show today. Welcome to the show, Mary.
0: Hey, thank you for having me.
1: All right, it's great to have you. Here we go. We're talking about revenue, but before we get started, You know, we love to pull the lens back. We call it the 30,000 feet. It's sort of what has made us famous. Let's pull the lens back to 30,000 feet. Tell us about the house of revenue. And then we have so many questions. Let's go.
0: Okay. I started this company late 2017. I'm a former top sales producer. I love the sales profession. It seemingly came easy to me. And I thought, hey, wait, a lot of people actually struggle with sales maybe I can build a business helping them with that. And that's exactly what I did. So how's the revenue used to be called sales BQ. BQ is the behavioral quotient. And for 18 months out of the gate, we served 45 companies. We helped them build their sales infrastructure processes, hired great sales talent, and it was a lot of fun. But in 18 months, we finally had a feedback loop. We were able to analyze the performance and lo and behold, The companies who, on their own, had a great brand and marketing engine, outperformed the others. We wanted to win 100% of the time or as close to it as possible. So we decided to grow. We tripled in size and we added experts in branding, marketing, and revenue operations. By 2020, right around when the world shut down, we launched what we do now, which is our fractional CRO model. Decided to serve nine brave CEOs who were plateaued and stuck and needing to scale. We rebranded them. We built engines for marketing, sales, CS, the entire revenue operations tech stack. And in that year, nine companies, we scaled 100% of them. They doubled in size, on average, adding $3.2 million in revenue in a pandemic year. So in 2021, We followed the same path. We served 11 companies, and here we are in 2022, and we're on the road to serve 12 companies this year in all facets of building a revenue engine.
1: I love it. It's so powerful. I mean, when we talk about it, we look at your journey, we look at what you've done. It's really remarkable. Let's talk about it. I mean, for the entrepreneurs watching the show, Mary, you know, we have you on the show what types of companies reach out to you and say, Hey, Mary, you know, we've heard about what you're doing. I mean, it's incredible. Everybody's talking about it. Where do they need to focus? Where do you focus them to get to where you want them to go, which is really 10Xing or 20 or 30Xing their business?
0: <laughs> well, goodness, it takes a lot of effort and investment to 10X, 20X, or 30X, especially because our ideal client starts in that one to $2 million range. And we want to set them on that journey for scale up to that first $10 in revenue. That's where we specialize. You'll see us working in B2B, professional services, manufacturing, distribution, technology. And we are focused on the CEO who understands that they have to invest in the entire revenue ecosystem. So gone are the days where a company who's between 1 and 10 million, who's serious about growth, serious about scaling and doing that meaningfully and profitably, we're past the days that they can just make a single investment like let's get a new CRM or let's hire a marketing agency and we'll build a new website or let's try this thing called SEO or content and see if we get any returns or let's bring in the newest, latest, greatest sales methodology that someone wrote a book about. I'm sure that'll help us Those things might move the needle a little bit, but for companies serious about 2Xing, which is the initial marker, I know 10, 20, 30X sounds (laughs) fascinating. We focus on the initial 2X because it takes quite a bit to get to that first 2X. Normally, you can't continue to do what you've done to that point if you're expecting different results. So when we talk about revenue ecosystem, It's a CEO who's ready to invest in data, people, and processes, the technology layer. We have to change the ecosystem. Typically, we have to realign with who their customer is, the pains, problems they solve in the market. Many of them, their go-to-market strategy is stale. What worked for them out of the gate is no longer resonating with the buyer, or they have different competitive landscape today. There's so much work that goes into the initial strategy and plan, and then it all comes down to the execution so that CEO who's looking for us, they may have tried a few things and they're stuck and they're not sure what to do. They've spent the wrong $500,000 <laughs> in tiny little increments. And they're wondering, how do we solve this revenue challenge? The answer is holistically. And you need to focus on the entire revenue engine at the same time, not pieces and parts.
1: Well, wow, it's so powerful from 1 million to 2 million. Of course, you know that, that's that's a 100% increase in one's business. And then you take it from there. I love it so much. Now, Mary... You talk about organizational alignment. I love, you know, that approach that you and your company have. Your team is remarkable. When we think about this alignment, you know, and and you sort of look at companies for the people watching the show, where are they out of alignment? Because, you know, sometimes, for example, my back gets out of alignment. I see someone who adjusts my back. I come out of it. I feel fantastic. I'm ready to roll. In the business standpoint, where are the alignment problems happening from the customers that you see?
0: across the board, they're out of alignment between their revenue departments, they're out of alignment with their customer, they're out of alignment with the market. Most products and services that plateau it's number one because they become out of alignment with what their ideal buyer actually wants. So if we look at the root of a great product or service, it's rooted in customer need. So there are some luxury products and services out there, definitely nice to have, not really rooted in pain problems or urgency. And a lot of the products and services though, in the market and where we specialize actually solve a problem. And we love founder CEOs. So the person who, this is their baby. This isn't a CEO through acquisition. This is their baby. This was born in their kitchen, their garage, their basement, (laughs) out at dinner on a napkin, wherever it was. And they have somehow made it to a million in revenue. And they're looking around after they took a really nice long nap and they're trying to recover. Like, what do we do from here? And typically, what we see is that there isn't a lot of rhyme or reason or structure in startup scale. So, startup scale is the zero to one million. And when I say one million, that could be one to three million. It's just different for every business, the industry they're in, the size of their uh, their tickets, you know, the dollar size, average contract value, and what they're selling. So, it just depends on that industry. But when I say startup scale, it can be zero to one million, maybe zero to three million. What got them to that point? typically is not what gets them to the next level. So it's a chaotic scale. During that startup scale, you're figuring out what's going to stick. You're doing a lot of testing. You're doing a lot of iterating. You're listening to the market, to the clients, to your team members, and you're usually moving a million miles per minute. With that, the scale can be very sloppy. So when you get to the next level, when you're looking at second stage scale, which is the stage after startup scale, the first step is to evaluate Your tech stack, your people, your processes, your buyer, the market, how the market has shifted, what the buyer wants today, the shifts and trends and the way buyers are buying, really looking at who's emerged, who's potentially leapfrogged if they're working from a a tech stack standpoint within their own product and how the market is responding to that. When we look at alignment, we have to first go to the customer because I can't fix anything inside of a company with their people or the way they do work if we haven't confirmed that the product or service is still viable to be sold in today's market. So the product or service in alignment with the buyer, that is alignment number one. Is it rooted in customer need? Is it branded and communicated and brought to the market in a way that people, it resonates with that buyer emotionally. And it's also aesthetically pleasing and exciting and engaging. And what is the pathway for that buyer once they're attracted to the brand to interact with the brand and enter into the funnel? We see the next biggest piece of alignment that's out of alignment is sales and marketing. We see them acting in completely separate silos. And that is not doing anyone any favors. In fact, I've watched some pretty hilarious videos of people mocking the marketing and sales relationship that sales is always mad at marketing for not generating good leads. And then marketing sitting there saying, what are you talking about? We had 110 NQLs last month. Sales comes back and says, a white paper download is not a lead. I've seen this going back and forth. But we believe in a holistic alignment between marketing and sales. When you expect the buyer to interact with your brand, they should have the same experience regardless if they're on the website, social media, reading marketing material, talking to your salesperson, getting an automated email or a one-on-one individual email, or engaging in a conversation, meeting with a sales engineer, other members of the team. It should feel the same. It shouldn't feel like they got a completely different experience from the brand or marketing versus when they met with the salesperson. So we firmly believe that that second place where there's often misalignment is marketing and sales. The third would be the purchase point. Sales gets the win, and then what's the handoff to the new business team for implementation, onboarding? Have you ever bought a product or service and you go into implementation and it's like you're starting over? And they, they actually ask you, tell me about your company or, or tell me more about you or what brought you to select our, our product or service. And that new customer must be sitting there going, are you kidding me? I just spent three months <laughs> in a process with your sales team and your company. And I'm starting from scratch. I saw this every day when I was selling payroll at HR services, and it was very frustrating to the buyer. So we see a misalignment between that sales to customer success or operations handoff. Last but not least, most marketing departments fall off after the purchase is made. There's a huge miss there. Marketing, working in alignment with customer success can be so powerful for adoption, knowledge bases, upselling, expansion, and affiliate programs or advocacy, where you can actually generate more revenue out of your clients and that can come from marketing. So those are the key areas of misalignment that we find.
1: It's so powerful you know I'm listening to you speak and I'm learning so much just listening to you and I'm sure that the people watching the show are as well you know we speak to a lot of startup founders as well and sometimes they get so involved with their technology they get so involved with what they're offering they really forget about the single most important thing that they have or the asset that they have in their business, which is their client or their customer and one thing that I love about you Mary is you know you and your entire team I mean, you focus, on the alignment, what I'll call throughout the entire customer life cycle. It's not just one little part. I mean, you say, you know, you have to include the entire buyer's journey and the customer journey so that your clients can constantly attract, you know, engage and delight their customers, which then increases revenue on a historic basis. You know, not only going from 1 million to 2 million and multiple X's, but into the future as well. And you you talk about this silo approach. I mean, that's very unique. I haven't heard that before. So that's awesome. Let's talk about it because you have this look at the company and we want to get into your team just a little bit, this holistic approach where you really look at constantly increasing your client's revenue from a holistic standpoint. In other words, you're not just focusing on one little thing because that's the wrong way to do it when you want to double your business or 10X your business. You want to look at the entire alignment. And that's really what you become famous for. When we think about it, for someone that hasn't hired you yet and they're in the $1 million level, Are there certain tidbits of information or little sort of pointers that you might be able to give to them, the CEOs and founders, to look at their business in a different light, in a different way, looking at it in a more holistic way that will help them in their journey right now?
0: Out of the gate, regardless if they're in startup phase, if they're even very early ideation in startup phase, or maybe they're pushing as hard as they can on the path to 1 million. Potentially they are in second stage scale. My recommendation out of the gate is to do the gut check with the customer. I really do believe that honing in on who they're serving and ensuring it's rooted in customer need is going to be the key to success. When I first became a CEO at age 28, I started a company called Butterfly Creative, and my heart was for startups and entrepreneurs. This was before they were making money, before they were pre-launching to the market and in the ideation phase, helping them with business plans and understanding what a go-to-market strategy was and what we were going to do to let the world know about them. One of the very first exercises was to simply ask the question, are you selling something that people want? Why does that sound so simple? But to be quite honest, most entrepreneurs and startup founders were selling something they thought the market would want. That's very different. Most startup entrepreneurs have an idea, right? They, they have this magical moment and they say, oh my gosh, what if we create fill in the blank? What if there was a product or service that did fill in the blank? So it comes from one frame of reference, one mind, one heart of passion, and they build an entire business around it. But oftentimes the miss is, did you have that validated by the market? What is your market? How many people could actually buy this product or service? Do they want it? What is the competitive landscape look like? How are you different? What can you promise that the competition can't? And have you evaluated what people are willing to pay to have this problem solved. And typically what happens is most startup founders out of the gate, they're so hungry and they're so passion driven because they have this multi-million dollar or potentially 1000000000 dollar unicorn idea. And they just get tunnel vision and they go, 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 go. And they build, 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 and they forget one simple task, which is ensuring that the market actually wants it and they're willing to pay for it. And someone isn't already out there doing something very similar. A lot of the work that I started to do as that first time CEO at age 28 was to help these very passionate, wonderful, lovely startup founders separate themselves emotionally from their idea and battle test it a little bit with some focus groups and primary market research. And I know that that was one of the best strategies that helped these entrepreneurs out of the gate get to a cash position and get to profit a lot more quickly than other founders. There's such a high fail rate for startups. So if we're speaking to that earlier audience earlier in their journey, I would say go battle test your idea before you invest or raise a lot of money and dilute the cap table. I would make sure that you have an MVP that you can go out and you can test it. That's how I started House of Revenue. I had an idea And I had three, three very brave CEOs that each agreed for me to beta test and pretty much build our entire offering while paying me a small fee per month, enough to cover my expenses. I did it for three months and I had the data that I needed. We were onto something and we were getting results. From there, after building it, testing it, I was able to optimize and then set it for scale, which is the journey that we've been on. So that would be my number one piece of advice, whether it's a startup founder or someone that's having to go back to the drawing board, Right now and reevaluate and understand why they're plateaued.
1: I love it. I mean, for the people watching the show, rewind what Mary just said and you know, listen to it five times. When I'm done with the interview, I'm gonna listen to it. I mean, that's great advice. And of course, we want to talk about fractional CRO. You know, people reach out to you, they've heard about what you're doing, they they know about you, they know about your team. And again, I want to talk about the team momentarily, but you give them a supporting cast, a supporting team, and you work with their team or their company really to build a strategic and holistic revenue approach, you know, where all the revenue departments work together to build what you call this high performing revenue engine. I love that so much. So let's talk about the fractional CRO. How does that work? You know, if I'm looking at it and I'm not really at the point where I want to hire someone full-time, but I can hire your company to, and get a team to work with me. I mean, it just sounds so natural and so impressive.
0: We love the fractional CRO model, obviously. We're very passionate about it. And here's why. When you are a second stage scaling company, so again, you've hit your first one to two million, you're setting your eyes on that path to 10 million million. Ideally, you're starting to think about a chief revenue officer. The problem is this is a very underdeveloped role. The title's really only been used for the last handful of years. And typically what we see with most CROs is they have a bias towards sales. In fact, we have a lot of really great sales producers who may or may not have been in management getting VP of sales titles. And now the trend is to put this person in a CRO role. So you have that level of CRO, then you have some of the most accomplished talented, brilliant, unbelievable CROs out in the market who rightfully are, are making a base salary of two, three, four hundred thousand 400,000 a year. And then seeing that doubled in variable compensation, and they are built holistically. They have spent time in branding and marketing, as well as sales, customer success. They understand finance as well as revenue operations. And these people are unbelievable. With that, there's very few of them in the market and they are hard to come by. When a company says, we want to hire a chief revenue officer, well, most of the time they go to market with this unbelievable job description and they realize their candidate pool is heavily biased towards sales. So they don't hit the mark. Then they get the few candidates that are actually well-versed across all of those different areas and they can't afford them. So what do you do? You look to go fractional. Well, there's an error in that model. When you're looking to scale your company and you want a fractional CRO, sure, you can get a CRO at a fraction of the cost, but a great CRO, the first thing they want to do is build a team. So I hope when you find that fractional CRO, you're also ready to pay to hire three or four people or to pay for them as well. And that's where our model is very different. We attach the revenue scaling team, that revenue growth team to the CRO. So when you come to house of revenue for a fractional CRO, you are not getting just a CRO to direct and guide and come up with a great strategy. You're getting the entire team that works for that company for a year, all in like staff augmentations, So not a consultancy or agency, but this team is aligned, assigned, rolling up their sleeves, acting in both strategy and execution, which is what, that is what creates the perfect storm. Because you can have strategy and then who does the work? Or you have a bunch of people who can do the work, but who's leading the charge? Where's that holistic mind that can align all of these departments with the customer and the market? And that's where our model, by having this five- to seven-person growth team attached to the CRO, that's where we consistently produce results.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. Of course, you believe in constant never-ending improvement, not only for you and your team, but your clients as well. Let's talk about the team. I mean, you're, you've put together a great team of people. I want to talk about hiring. When you look for someone to join your team, and of course, you're looking for the best of the best, Is there certain? are there certain things you look for? In other words, experience. Is it the commitment to the client? Is it passion? Or maybe it's their outlook or the way in which they look at the world, or maybe their, their positive way in which they produce results. What are you really looking for when you hire someone to join your team?
0: Yes, is the answer to all of the above. (laughs) One, we task ourselves with hiring the most brilliant people in revenue. Why? Because that's all we sell. We sell people. That sounds weird. But we sell their heart and their passion, which fuels their ability to execute. And they can't execute if they don't have the knowledge and the skills. So it is hard for us to hire here. We are highly selective. We can't hide behind a product or a widget when many companies have a technology product or they're manufacturing something. So, if the people are so so or okay, or you get reassigned to a new service rep or account professional, you know, at least the technology or product that you're buying is pretty good and consistent. No, we don't have any of that. We have one thing. And that's these brilliant, passionate people that work for House of Revenue. And that's why we've adopted this tagline behind me to do remarkable work, because that's all that we hire for. And they have to have the passion. They have to have the heart because that's the fuel and the energy. And really, when we look at our core values of serving first, Scaling second and succeeding always in a serve first mentality. It's about getting right with ourselves as whole beings. Secondly, serving our team of unbelievably passionate high performers and making sure we're taking care of ourselves and not reaching burnout or going past our capacity and workloads. But then it's about serving the client. We employ people who actually love our clients. CEOs and entrepreneurs, we're a very odd bunch. We're weird. And we're hard to work for. We take a lot of risk. Some days we may be wearing our emotions on our sleeves. A lot of entrepreneurs and CEOs, they literally put everything on the line for the success of their company. And when you look at that, if our team first isn't aligned with that CEO's heart of why they even started the company that they did, we don't have any business working with them. And so our first mentality, that means our people have to be wired that way. So we're just as much heart as we are brains. And for uh, for those revenue leaders out there looking to get a spot on the house of revenue team, it's not an easy task. Our job descriptions are thorough and long and detailed, and we have to ensure that all of those capabilities exist in the person before they come working here. Our clients can't pay for training grounds. <laughs> no, it is hard for us to fill the seats we focus on retention here. We focus on creating an unbelievable workplace. and in fact, we've actually been named best workplaces two years in a row, which is an unbelievable honor. Caring for our people so that they can care for our clients. It's a strategy that's never going to go wrong.
1: I love it, of course, Mary. and your fractional you know chief revenue officers, the CROs, it, it reads like a who's who's list of people that know what they're doing in the space, it's remarkable. Now, I know you've only cut out a certain amount of time. I want to thank you for coming on the show, but before I let you go, I want to give back to the younger entrepreneurs because we have some younger entrepreneurs, younger startup founders watching the show. Maybe they're hitting a tough time. Maybe they're freezing in the frame. Maybe they're having a tough time getting through a pothole in the road. I'm hoping you might be able to share some words of wisdom, Mary, about what it takes as a startup founder to get through a tough time and keep on pushing on that road to success
0: this is such an easy answer for me because I'm a woman of faith and I have hit unbelievable low points in my career. And while I have done that, my goodness, I always fall back on my faith. I literally have surrendered and fallen on my knees and given it all back to God because I have reached the end of myself multiple times. Being an entrepreneur is so hard. I'm a three-time founder and I'm also an investor and I know how difficult the journey is. So finding that source that you can plug into for people like me, that could be your faith. It could be nature. It could be taking a break and just resting all of that combined, finding an opportunity to get rest and plug into the source and to separate yourself emotionally from the business. That is what is key. Otherwise it'll just take you and pull you and take you all the way down to the ground. And that is not a healthy place to be. So anybody that's going through a challenging time, just take a moment and step away from it. And whether that's to pray, to meditate, to get out in nature, go back to the source. Remember, we were all created so beautifully, so uniquely, so powerfully, and we have so much to offer the world, but we have to tap into that to know truly how we're going to serve and how we're going to be remarkable in our work. And if you can reconnect with that, you will be unstoppable.